Good morning, Dawson. It is my privilege to be preaching this morning in the absence of our pastor. It is an even greater privilege of mine to be serving as young adult minister here at Dawson. I've made a few pit stops in different ministry areas here um, at Dawson, starting as a college student, serving as an intern in the student ministry, where I got to meet many of you. Then uh, as an intern to Maine in our church planning efforts in our first year of Go Love Tell, and then as the associate minister to recreation over at the FRC. And if it were up to me, we would have never left Austin. But um, the, the Lord had other plans and we went out to Dallas, my wife Caroline and I, for the last five years. And uh, we are thankful to be back from exile. And so uh, it is a, a privilege to serve as your young adult minister. And uh, we have been in this role since May. And um, in, a, in a lot of ways, this message, this sermon is a culmination of my appreciation to you, Dawson, in the ways that you have invested in and encouraged me in my call to ministry, the ways that you have supported me in so many different ways. And, and my hope is that when we, when we come to this text of a, a letter from Paul to Timothy, uh, that, that we would all be encouraged to go and invest in others in the way that others have invested in us. And so I want you to hear my heart this morning, Dawson, that that is um, where we are headed. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 3. It says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because his own purpose and grace, which he has given in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So I mentioned this is Paul's last letter from a Roman jail cell to his protege in the faith, Timothy that while he wasn't his biological son, Paul had taken a vested interest into Timothy's spiritual growth and in his calling in life. And as I think about the privilege that it is to serve in an intergenerational congregation like Dawson, I know that the, this language in the New Testament around how we relate to one another, although we might not be biological family, we call each other family members in familial language son, mother, daughter, brother, and sister. And as I, I think back on my, my time here, it is instructive for us in the context of our church 
that we take this same sense of ownership of being a big family, that we take a vested interest in one another's spiritual growth and physical and spiritual needs. My wife Caroline and I have no doubt experienced that type of care and being back in Birmingham, that there is no place like home, that you have welcomed us in and you have taken care of us so well. And to that, we are so grateful. And I know that is the story of so many of the people that are in our church, that for Caroline and I to have grown up in a home where faith in Christ was demonstrated and encouraged, some of you, that, that might not be your story. And to be able to come to a place where you can have adopted parents who model for you the way of following Christ. Or I even think back on my own experience in my own life and growing up at Valleydale just down the road. Um, there, there were people who stepped in when I was in student ministry and and taught me. There was a a basketball coach that I had who gave me the God's Game Plan FCA study Bible. And it was was through that experience that God began to equip and call me to ministry, that the people would call things out in me that I was not aware of. That they stoked this passion for God's word. And through that, I realized my calling in life. I know that is true for people here at Dawson. I know that you've invested in my wife, Caroline, as life group leaders, and I'm reaping the benefits of what you have taught her and she has taught me. And so if we're gonna become accustomed to using this language of being Dawson family of faith, you've obviously seen on our website or heard or seen on our together, then my challenge to you along with validating that this is something that is true of our church here, is it's worth taking a self-inventory this morning, right? Are we invested in and availing ourselves to others here like we are family? If there's a tug on your heart to do that this morning, I believe that this text has something for you, right? That there are three ways in this letter from Paul to Timothy that show us how to do this. The first being, we honor the legacy of those who've invested in us by affirming the work and the gifting of God in one another. Verse three says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So as a 90s kid, one of my favorite movies was The Lion King. And as the prodigal Simba departed from his tribe and was running from his calling in life, I think of the iconic voice of James Earl Jones as Mufasa. He appears to Simba in a vision. He says, Simba, remember who you are. That's exactly what Paul is doing in this letter to Timothy. Saying, remember the spiritual legacy. Remember the investment that other people have put into you to make you who you are today. As we're sitting in the pews this morning, I I, I would love for you to ruminate on the people 
who made it possible for you to be where you're at today by investing in you, by showing you the way of Christ, by pointing you to him. Timothy no doubt inherited physical genetic traits from his mother and his grandmother, but Paul points to the spiritual legacy that he has. And in an honor-based culture like the ancient Near East, this would have deeply resonated with Timothy and affirmed him. I think of the ways in just the past two services that that people have come up and, and, and they have encouraged and affirmed me already, that the sermon application point, they just turn right back around to me. That there are ways that you can affirm people in what God is doing in their life that they might not be aware of, right? When we, when we take a survey of scripture, we see that scripture uh, calls us not to, to, to be conceited, but to be humble. And a lot of times we can just be oblivious to how God has gifted us. And God uses the witness of other people to call us up into service. And so you might be sitting there this morning completely unaware that God wants to use you, but someone might approach you and say, hey, have you ever thought about serving in this capacity? Have you ever thought about investing in the life of the church? Because I see something in you. That's one of the things that I get to do as a minister here at Dawson. It's a great privilege of mine. And as, as much as um, I you know, am passionate about equipping people with God's word, God wants to use your story, your testimony, your walk of life to impact others. And so we want this to be an affirming place where we affirm people in the work and the love of God. You've heard the expression, it takes a village, right? And, and we, we get to see this in a tangible way when we do family dedication here. And we have you know, parents and they're either um, angelic or screaming toddler. And as a church, we covenant together to raise children up to know and cherish Christ as their savior, acknowledging that that is a decision that they have to make, but that we have influence over as we train them up in the word of God, as we demonstrate to them a a, a spirit-filled life, right? They, They see that from us. And so we make investment in our people in that way. And as I've, I've called to remembrance all the people that have invested in me, I want to challenge you this morning to continue to champion the call of God in the lives of others. Verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So in our day and age of electric and gas heat pumps, the, uh, the vitality and the, the need for fire is, is maybe something that would be a little bit lost on us that would have resonated with the ancient culture that we're reading into. And uh, to, to be honest with you, I, you know, I, I personally love the uh, amenities that I have. And um, when, the, the closest that we ever have to experiencing this is when the, the very rare camping trips that my wife Carol and I go on. And uh, we, we really don't prefer to rough it. Um, we, we like to, um, we're, we're glampers, right? We, we like basically a tailgate where you sleep outside. And so a couple years back when we were living in Dallas, we made the trip out to Colorado and we were gonna hike Pikes Peak with a group of friends. And uh, we, we got uh, 
all the things packed up and ready to go. And it was early fall. So we were still hoping for those summer temperatures, which are, are very moderate and nice. But there was a foot of snow that fell a couple days before we got there. So we were not really equipped for this. And so uh, we, were, we were hoping that the temperatures would climb up a little bit as we, as we uh, started to drive out. And it was, it was okay during the day, but it got really cold at night. And so we would all huddle up in our sleeping bags. And the first night we were going to bed early because uh, everybody was so cold. And so we, we got a, a lot of firewood for the second night. And um, my, my brother-in-law, Drew, and I were trying to get the fire going, and we were kind of struggling because um, it might have been a little bit wet. But then, you know, because we're glampers, we were sleeping on air mattresses and not on the cold ground. And so uh, we, we had an electric air mattress pump. And so Drew plugged it up and used this to fan into flame our, our campfire. And man, within a few minutes, it was like a roaring hot fire. And so everyone came out of their tents and sleeping bags and gathered around the fire. And we enjoyed a really great time together and have great memories from that. And I, and I believe in the same way, when, when we fan into flame the gift of God in the context of our church, that there is a warm fellowship, that there is vibrant uh, and, and useful gifts that are being used for honoring God. And, and it also draws other people in. Right, that, that, that we, um, when, when we see the manifestation of God's spirit and, and the gifting of God on someone, that people are drawn in and attracted to that because they want to experience God. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There, there might be a lot of considerations in your mind this morning. Some of you might be thinking about what you're gonna eat for lunch, right? The, the consideration that I would, I would put before you is how can I stir up someone else to love and good works? How can I call someone up to service, to invest in the body of Christ? We see this in a tangible way at ordination or missionary commission, commissioning services. It's modeled in this passage and in Acts chapter 13. And like other ordinances that we observe here as a church, there's not anything inherently spiritual that's going on at that moment, but it's an outward display of what God has already done and is doing. And so when we lay our hands on someone, it is a product of and the culmination of discipleship and encouragement and prayers and a commitment to continue that. And so when, when we commission people for service, we are, we are following after the model that Paul gives us here with Timothy. And Timothy would have been called to remembrance of his ordination service with Paul. In verse seven, he gives him another exhortation, says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, is that when we receive the Holy Spirit, that power will come upon us. And, and maybe in our context, we might think that that means authority. I'd say that all authority has been vested in Christ, that the power this is talking about is dynamic abilities, that the Holy Spirit gives us something that we wouldn't be able to produce in our own power, right? That, that, that God pushes us and calls us out of our comfort zone 
and gives us the ability to do something that we didn't know was possible. And then he gives us love, the fuel and the witness of Jesus' people. John 13, 35, Jesus says that the world will know that you're my disciples based off of your love for one another. So we could, we could do things really excellently here with theological precision and completely miss the point. Right? Love must be the fuel because that is the witness to a watching world. And the last is self-control. We would have restraint and composure that is only possible by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Timothy would have needed this in a culture that was diametrically opposed to the gospel message. In a world in which they would say there is no king but Caesar, to say that Jesus is the king would have landed him where Paul was, which was straight in jail. Verse 8 says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. But the next way we do this is by following the sacrificial way of Jesus in the face of external and internal opposition to the gospel message. And we get the privilege of worshiping freely here this morning, but I would venture to say if those doors busted open and authorities walked down and cuffed me and read me my rights in front of y'all and escorted me out, there are some spiritual parents I know that would come and bail me out. But, but for some of you who don't know me from Adam, you might want to distance yourself from me, right? That you would not want to affiliate with a known convict. And that was Paul's experience, that as he went about preaching the gospel, that he was in prison for righteousness sake. And so let's not let that reality be lost on us as we worship freely this morning. When I was in seminary in Fort Worth, there was a memorial on campus in between the mission school and the school of theology. And I would have to walk in between those as I had classes stacked on Mondays. And I would walk past the memorials of Southwestern alum who were martyred for their faith. People who graduated only a handful of years before me. Right, who responded to the call of God to the uttermost parts of the world. They were imprisoned, they were tortured, and ultimately martyred for their faith. It's humbling and sobering. And just in the way that I was reminded of the global persecuted church as I studied in seminary, I want to put that before you as a church this morning, that we remember those who we partner with and those who we support who are facing death because of their call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I say this also to acknowledge the, the real suffering and sacrifices that, that people endure in our context. That, that we minister in and we share the gospel in an environment that is not oppositionless. You will face pressure. 
you will have to make sacrifices if you're going to pick up your cross and follow after Jesus. There are stories of you that I know that have made real, financial, social, professional sacrifices for your faith in Jesus. And to you, I would say, continue to stand firm. Because the value of your confession in Christ is so much greater than anything else. So continue to stand firm. As Paul is encouraging Timothy to stand firm in the face of opposition, we too are called to stand firm in the face of opposition by the power of God. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, verse 9 upends any wrong assumptions that we might have about the preceding verses in this passage. That we might think because of the faith of Lois and Eunice that Timothy was byproduct a Christian, right? We, we hear things in our Bible-saturated, Bible Belt context in which people say something like, I've always been a Christian. Or my parents were very religious people. I was in church every Sunday. See, the inheritance of faith that, that we receive is, is not from anyone other than the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in us, who calls us to God. He transfers us from the dominion of sin and death to the kingdom of light and life. And so every single one of us must reach this point where we're at the end of ourselves and we say that it's only by Christ alone that I can have eternal life. That it's not because of our last name, it's not because of our church attendance or anything that is good about us, including our good works and deeds. And Paul makes this crystal clear in this passage. So may we stand firm against any ideologies that would say that we have righteousness through anyone but Christ alone and the work that he did. I believe that is another form of opposition that we face in the gospel message. Another way for some of us who church has become very routine and familiar is that we would have apathy about the things of God. May we, may we not grow apathetic. That in reading verse 10, that the, the cold water douses of apathy on our faith would be lapped up by the incredible truth that Jesus has redeemed us from certain death and destruction. That the stakes are no less than that. And to be found in him means our sins are no longer counted against us and we receive this ministry of reconciliation as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, that we have the joy of sharing with others. Verse 11 says just that, for, I, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed 
And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So our third application point this morning is to invest in others by passing down timeless truths and a living faith. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that is entrusted to you. If you follow any of the financial headlines the past couple weeks, you know the story of Silicon Valley Bank. There are billions and billions of dollars that overnight were gone. The people were not able to access their deposits. The story is another story in the litany of examples that we have about how fickle our institutions are. They're prone to scandal and scarcity, speculation. But church, there is never a run on the depository of Christ. There's never a doubt that Christ has secured those whom he has called out and saved. He has thrown away the key for those who are called according to his purpose. His word possesses unsearchable riches of eternal profit and we are safe in him. As Paul says later in chapter two, 1 Timothy, that I may be a prisoner, but the word of God is not imprisoned. May we stand firm in this way to, to know the eternal riches that we have in the word of God and the indwelling of his spirit in us. That this is a deposit that cannot be shaken. This is something that no one can take from us. I think oftentimes our thought life and our lives can be consumed in our energy and our time with things that are passing and fleeting. But as we reflect back on this passage this morning, church, I'll say to you that the thing that is not fleeting and passing, the people that are in your lives, including the ones here in the room with you, that when you make an investment in the life of someone else, that you are making an imperishable deposit. Sharing the truth of God's word and by the Holy Spirit who resides in you, demonstrating what faith in Christ looks like is a deposit that is never going to perish or fade. It is something that you can bank on. And so to those of you who are making the investments of others here at Dawson, I commend you and I thank you for how you've shaped my faith and changed my life. I encourage those of you who feel like you might be on the sidelines this morning, get in. As we've established, the stakes can never be higher. The need can never be greater. This past year, our pastor has walked us through our theological vision, and it has been clarifying for us. It has punctuated our priorities as a church. For my ministry area, we have run with the banner of discipleship is our focus. 
So as we look back on this passage, as Paul, Lois, and Eunice shaped Timothy's faith in Christ, we realize that all of us here in the room who know Christ were discipled by someone who took a vested interest in us. Someone who sacrificed their time and their energy and their talents to pour into us. And so my question to you is, what spiritual traits will you allow God to use you to pass down to others? Where is the the person that you rub shoulders with here in Dawson that you can affirm and call up the giftings that God has given them? to challenge them to step out of their comfort zone and begin to serve God with their lives? Who is the person that that needs encouragement, who is beaten down by the things of their life, who has physical and spiritual needs that you can meet? So church, I challenge you. Find people to invest in here because it is a deposit that will never perish or fade. Let's pray.